Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Monday, we're going to talk some USC Trojan football with beat writer and columnist from uscfootball.com. Dan Weber, we want to talk about some USC summer workouts. We got to see JT Daniels out there. I'm on Ross A. Brown. All the guys want to talk about that, answer your questions, and talk about anything general uh, USC football. Of course, that's what we do here every week on the Peristyle Podcast. If you have any questions or comments for us for the next show, give us an email, drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or if you'd like to call or text us, you can do both of those at 424 424- Two five four nine one four one. I think we got some texts. We got a voicemail. We got emails for sure, and lots to talk about with Dan Weber. So let's bring him in. Dan, what's up, man? How are you? Oh, doing good. Doing good. Glad to be uh, back in California. Got to head head out to uh, the uh, uh, where uh, right past the Smoky Mountains, where Tennessee, North Carolina, and South Carolina all come together for a nephew's wedding and. Way too much uh, uh, orange in the uh, in the equation, uh, uh, and the uh, three nephews who are all Clemson graduates, and way too much uh, uh, <laughs> excitement about Clemson football. Uh, so, uh, so three days about about enough uh, of of all the the Clemson football. But you got to give them credit to be able to you know do what Clemson does, where Clemson is. Uh, and uh, what a great job uh, that they've they've done there! Uh, and uh, you know, congratulations to the, the you know the school, the program, the fans, and obviously uh, Dabo Swinney has just uh, just been remarkable. So uh, makes you feel like uh, you got a shot. Although right across the border in uh, Tennessee, you maybe wonder, you know, what what does it take to to really put it all together? But it's always interesting to go to you know, other places and other parts of the country and had a, you know, a number of family folks who, uh, uh, from, you know, right outside of Cincinnati who can usually make it up to the Notre Dame game every couple of years. And, <laughs> and, and just, you know, unfortunately my brother, uh, who I don't think I got to talk to him after the Notre Dame game this year. So it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> and his question was, what the heck happened to Southern Cal and how could you not get ready for Notre Dame? And so I said, yeah, I know. I've asked that question a few times myself. So uh, anyway, uh, yeah, college football is never far from uh, wherever you go, I think, in this country pretty much. Uh, so uh, that was fun. Especially out that way. I was just out that near there, uh, Gatlinburg and uh, Pigeon Forge. My wife's family goes out there quite a bit. So for her dad's 80th birthday, we went out there and uh, and it was nice. And yeah, you're definitely in SEC country. You don't feel like you're in California anymore because you are not. Yeah. Uh, but the Clemson fans, it's funny, you know, USC and Clemson have something in common. They both hired interim head coaches. Uh, yeah, yeah, and young guys <laughs> and young Southern guys and with a lot of Alabama in their background. By the way, uh, we our family used to uh, vacation in, in Gatlinburg. So really? uh, I'm a. Uh, I, I know Gatlinburg. Uh, I, I couldn't have quite thrown a baseball to hit Gatlinburg across the mountains, but we weren't that far away from uh, from Gatlinburg. So, uh, uh, yep, those folks uh, love their uh, love their football, and that, that's pretty neat. Uh, I do remember the last time though that I was in Gatlinburg was so long ago, and I remember it was the same day Tennessee was playing Rutgers in a. Uh, and a homecoming game. And the headline on the Knoxville newspaper was what are Rutgers? <laughs> and unfortunately a really bad Rutgers team upset the ball on homecoming. And, uh, but I still remember the columnist was like, uh, uh, what are Rutgers? <laughs> like, what are they doing here? Who are these guys? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I, 
I, but I do remember, I think I was in Knox or in uh, Gatlinburg that weekend. And, uh, that was my, I'll never forget that headline. One of the great headlines of all time. Yeah. What are records? They, they got to go back and look at it after you lose the game. Uh, yeah. that's not, uh, not ideal. Yeah. I'd never been there. My wife's family goes all the time. And if you've never been, it's kind of like this mountain resort town area where it was almost like a, a budget Bible Vegas, like a strip thing. Like it was really like, if you remember what the strip was like in like the late eighties, early nineties, like the ends of it where not the big hotels were, it kind of looks like that where like shops and they have a lot of little like, uh, one person roller coaster things and just that kind of weird <laughs> stuff to do. Uh, a lot of mini golf. There's a lot that we played that with, uh, you know, my, with Jana's nephew, my wife's nephews and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. It was definitely, it's definitely different than any place I've been. Yeah. It's like uh, Switzerland in Tennessee or something. Yeah. You know, like it's like a, this little mountain resort. It's sort of in the hollow, uh, you know, uh, with the Smokies, uh, right about, you know, basically right in the Smokies. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was always, uh, for us, it was the closest like mountain place you could go that was, was mountains. And I think the Smokies are probably visited by more people just cause they're kind of in the middle of, of everything. But, yeah. uh, but once you get there, it's, uh, you're in the mountains, that's for sure. Yeah, we took like ski lifts up, and then we did those little like luge like things down. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, yeah, there's definitely it was summer, you know, summer, so it wasn't like skiing, but they do some of that there. But enough Gatlinburg talk. But I uh, yeah. hope you had a good weekend and uh, got to talk some USC football. People questioning what our fans around here at the Peristyle Podcast seem to question all the time. Uh, before we jump into some more of those questions, I just want to talk to you. About Lisa Beds, they've been our sponsor for a while. I love my Lisa Bed that I have now. If you want to get a quality night's sleep, it helps you recover from distractions. It'll help you prevent burnout, make you, help you make better decisions, improve your memory, and overall make fewer mistakes. That's not marketing. It's actually a science. So Lisa designed a better mattress. They've got 30-plus years' experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress, and I want you to try it out, if you go to lisa.com slash USC, you're going to get $160 off the Lisa mattress. Uh, it's awesome when it comes to your door. It's not You get a queen-size mattress or whatever you order. It's not a queen-size mattress on your door. It's like this box that like golf clubs or something would go in, and it opens up, and then you know within a few hours, it's a full size, and uh, you open up. It's a really cool thing. It's like a freeze-dried mattress, I, I, I like to say sometimes. But it's all compressed in there, and then it opens up, and it's super comfortable. And you don't need a box spring, which is great. You put it on one of the foundations. There's a lot of space under the bed. We love it uh, in our house. It's it's definitely a different way uh, to do to think about how you have a bed and have a mattress. So go to lisa.com slash USC. For our listeners, you get $160 off Lisa Mattress. Try it out and email me, let you know, let me know what you think. Uh, hopefully you like it as much as I do. All right, Dad. Well, the first thing I wanted to talk about today uh, was the summer workouts are going on, the player run practices. And on Tuesday, they were supposed to have one Friday. It was canceled late. I was actually down there, talked to some of the players. It seemed like there was some cute confusion if there was going to be a workout or not. They ended up going to the beach and doing some sort of uh, workout there. So they didn't throw. But on Tuesday, they threw. And the significance of that was that we got to see the true freshman, the incoming freshman for the first time. So I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what you saw out there. I know we're not we're not allowed to be on Howard Jones Field, so we're up on Cromwell Field looking down and checking it out. So you get kind of a bird's eye view. But what were your thoughts on that first pr player-run practice with the incoming freshman? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you can't not notice JT Daniels, obviously. Uh, uh, a big part of it, I mean, I think we, we know what his skill set is. We've, we've everybody's seen you know, a thousand plays and all the videos, you know, for the, the last three years at modern day. And, and you got to see modern day last year and all that. And, and so, and then if you talk to Jordan, you know, Palmer, his, his individual coach, since he was in grade school, you talk to Sam Darnold, you know, they tell you things like, uh, you know, he does some things better right now than, 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 uh, uh, you know, Sam does, or Sam will say, Hey, going to be a first, you know, he's an all American whenever he plays. Uh, he's going to be an all-American first round draft pick. Just, he's that good. Uh, so you want to go and watch and say, okay, you know, he's probably got the skill set, got the arm. He's a little bigger than I remember him. He looks more like a college. I mean, he's a college player. I mean, he looks, you know, uh, and I don't know that they, they list him at two Oh five. I think he looks bigger than that now. Uh, and I know there was always a question about, 
does he look, you know, is he 6'2", and he certainly looks like that now. Uh, looks like he belongs. Looks comfortable. He looks in charge. He looks, uh, you know, the other guys were, all the other quarterbacks are wearing visors. He's not. He just does, you know, he does his thing. Doesn't look like a freshman. If you were just bringing somebody up there on the top of Cromwell and watching him with us and said, pick out the freshman who's, this is his first official practice on this field with this team, you wouldn't have picked him. I mean, he just, he throws the, he throws the deep ball with so much touch. He has the ability, something that maybe, you know, was difficult for Sam. He has the ability to just put enough, just enough air under it and still get somebody, you know, running full speed, not having to slow down and come back and get it, not having to, you know, speed up because it's, it's thrown too far. Uh, his accuracy in general is, is, spectacular but his his touch on the deep the deep balls uh, i thought was was really impressive and he's got an advantage in some ways in the summer now because he's got amon ross st brown with him and those two you know paired up they're going to be roommates they paired up at modern day uh and now when you watch them you could say that was really unfair they 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 were too good uh, as a team to be playing in, in high school football last year. It's, you know, it's one of the, the reasons it was just not, not possible for most everybody they played to hang in there with them. Uh, uh, Amon Ra is, uh, I mean, for a kid, you know, his, obviously his dad was Mr. Universe and, uh, you know, sells the, uh, you know, the, uh, the cane power, I guess it is bodybuilding, stuff and all that uh but uh you know when you're built like a bodybuilder you often don't have the 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 real fine touch you know that that you see with baseball players in terms of that hand uh hand eye coordination especially and uh and and Amon Ra he's got just you know terrific hands just catches everything uh it's kind of an unusual uh, combination the way you know the power the you know just the powerful build and then those uh and those soft soft hands the other the other player that really stood out of the guys we hadn't seen before in person well elijah griffin i saw in, at the at corner with his timing and speed and just uh you know ability to you know to break on the ball i thought uh, i thought he looked uh he looked awfully good but uh but jt just looks like he fits looks like he belongs uh, looks like he's been there, done that, uh, which probably, you know, again, they're not in pads. They're not playing, you know, on the road at Stanford or, uh, or Texas, but, uh, he certainly looks like he's got a chance to be, you know, one of those freshmen who can step in and, uh, and, and just take over the kid from Georgia won at Notre Dame last year in the first game of the season. So, I think I went to Jacob Fromm. Uh, so I think uh, maybe we make too much of the whole freshman as quarterback thing. Uh, I'm not sure it's, it's, it's the way it once was. I, I think the, where these kids are coming from, the kind of coaching they've had, the kind of expectations, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I would think he's, he's definitely got a chance uh, to step in and, uh, and uh, and be the guy. I mean, he's gonna have to beat him out. Obviously, you know, you got, you know, Matt Fink. Uh, uh, you know, has had the experience uh, in terms of being part of it, and he's kind of the the organizer at this point. He's he's become the guy who's in charge. And Jack Sears, we know, has got, you know, uh, a lot of skills. Uh, and so you don't want it to be just one of those things where you get it because the other guys haven't, haven't, you know, done the job. You hope it's a really strong competition where they all, you know, raise their game so that, uh, you know, if, if it is JT Daniels, it's not, you don't win it by default. Although, I mean, I, you know, that's always a possibility as well, but, uh, but uh, just one, one practice, he gives you a different feel because you were just guessing. I think he'll be able to do this, or I think this will happen, but you don't know. And you see him once, uh, I think, and you get the sense. Uh, and, and a big part of that is, do the rest of the players accept you? Do the rest of the players think, hey, 
we've really got a chance with this, you know, with this guy. And you got to convince him of that. You got to sell him that you're the guy uh, that can make them better. And especially I mean, if you're the quarterback, that's uh, the big part of, of what you've got to do. And, uh, and I think, uh, you know, he, he, you do that one, one day at a time. And I think he, uh, he started out uh, being able to do that. I think JT did. So, so anyway, it's, uh, you know, it's an upbeat kind of optimistic uh, look uh, from what I, that's what I saw uh, and not trying to, you know, make the case uh, any one way, just trying to say, this is what I saw. This is what I think. And this is how, you know, how it could work out. It's, it's interesting because when you go back uh, for everything that, you know, was talked about what's going to happen after Sam Darnold left, it just seems like everything that's happened has made it more and more likely that JT Daniels was going to be the guy. And I think if you look back to the last day of spring practice when Clay Helton, you know, I think Keeley got the scoop that um, we knew that JT Daniels was going to be going to be on campus on June 8th. So he was going to be graduated and all done. So any of those kind of questions were, were no longer questions and, and Clay Helton announced that. And then just seeing that first workout, now we'll see, there's a lot of workouts to go, but is, is it seemed like Dan, every step of the way, it makes you feel, you know, more and more likely that, it's at least possible, and it's not you know unlikely that JT Daniels ends up being the starter. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we had always heard that he was the the word they used was the savant, you know, with this photographic memory, you know, about the playbook and and all of the things, and, and he he clearly showed that when he he was a you know late invitee to the uh, uh, All America game, and with the two great great Georgia quarterbacks who everybody said you know were just as you know, so spectacular, and he clearly was the better, you know, the best of the th- of the three. Uh, seemed the most accomplished that week in terms of understanding the playbook from everything you heard, and and was just somebody who here's a junior who goes down there and uh, you know just steps in like, hey, you know, here I am. What's the big deal? And he you know played that way in the game, and. Uh, and and that's kind of what you're what you're seeing now, yeah. Is it that because I remember long, I mean, way way back in the fall, saying he can't possibly go back to modern day. It would be crazy for him not to reclassify if he can. This makes he's he he wouldn't gain a thing by uh, by doing that. And I know that put him under the you know the gun because they didn't want to admit that he was going to be moving on or that he was going to, you know, take the 11 credits in the uh, spring semester and, 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 and do all the things he had to do to get, get to USC. Uh, but uh, it, no other decision made any sense. He, you know, he just, I mean, I, I think, you know, they got it right. Uh, he got it right. Uh, you know how motivated he is to, uh, to basically uh, take on that kind of, you know, class load and, and, and keep his football going and, all the things, you know, that, that he does. And, uh, just, you know, one of those, uh, football's his life. I mean, he, it's his hobby. It's his life. It's, you know, it's what he does. It's who he is. And, uh, uh, when a kid, kid like that comes along and he has the skill set, you still have to be, you know, quick enough and strong enough. And, uh, you gotta have an arm and you gotta have the accuracy. And he does, you just notice when he, he, uh, even with you know some a number of receivers he hasn't seen before, uh, he has the ability to deliver the ball before they make the cut, uh, and when they make the cut, then there's the ball. And these are patterns he's never seen guys run before. He just seems to have that that knack of uh, being able to deliver the ball on time and on target. And just there's uh, you know it's the uh, it's the reason, for example, a guy like Joe Montana, who didn't have a stronger arm necessarily than anybody, who didn't, you know, do, didn't throw the, the long ball, didn't throw that, you know, necessarily throw that deep, deep out that they always say, you, you know, you test NFL quarterbacks by. Uh, but he threw the ball on time and on target. And that's the key. Although, I mean, I probably only a couple of times saw 
JT just really drill the ball. I mean, just throw, you know, his fastball. And it's certainly something that he looks like he can do. It doesn't look like he has to do it or he feels like he has to do it. He throws that ball that, you know, you call it a catchable ball with the point slightly up, just enough to, you know, uh, to make it easier on the receiver. And uh, he basically throws it. A lot of times when they were, you know, doing one-on-ones and that, he throws it where uh, only the receiver can catch it. And, again, you know, you say, well, that was high school. Can he still do that? Um, you know, it, it, it looks like he was able to do that from what we saw. The uh, So now that they're all – you have Matt Fink, you have uh, Jack Sears and JT Daniels actually all in the same field, not one of them wearing a backpack just watching – <laughs> They're all there throwing. They're all together, right? Um, yep. I wanted to see what what you felt like the demeanor was like for the other two guys, how you think this is going to play out. Because obviously it's not a foregone you know, We don't know what's going to happen, but no. um, what you know, has it been demeaning? Are they, they worked together? How, how do you feel like it's, it's yeah, been? Yeah, I thought they worked together well. I thought they worked hard. I thought uh, uh, you know, J- uh, Jack Sears and, um, and Matt stayed later. And, and, and we're throwing the deep ball. I'm talking, you know, if you watch uh, baseball players, they do long toss, uh, the outfielders especially. Uh, and that's what they were doing. They were doing the 50-yard throws, uh, long toss. And, uh, you know, that's something that, that they need to be able to, you know, to handle, I think, is, is, is that. JT didn't necessarily stay around for, for all of that. But, um, but I thought, uh, you know, I thought a very serious workout and very uh, – you know, they took, you know, different guys went first and, and they, you know, they alternated that. And, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's going to be some pressure. I still remember I covered, oh gosh, I was, I was in Chicago and I, I went to the first, uh, first time I, I ever, uh, went to the bears camp up in somewhere in uh, Wisconsin, the name escapes me at the, at this, at this point in time. And, they had just traded uh, for the um, uh, the kid from Notre Dame. Gosh, I'm trying to think of his name, who really had a tough time in the NFL. Uh, and uh, they had two veterans who were back, and neither one exactly a starter, but they knew the offense perfectly. And uh, uh, they put him in first every rotation, the, the new kid. He had more trouble, and he was – sweating it was so difficult for him because the other two guys knew the offense knew what they were running this was like the first day they were running running uh, any of the offense in practice and i just thought this is a that's a really difficult situation if you're the new guy and uh and you don't know how things are you know work and all of that and you, you look for some of that and i didn't see any of that with jt i didn't see any of that sense that he doesn't look like a guy who plays who puts a lot of pressure on himself uh, in a negative way. And um, so that, I just thought the three of them, I thought did really well together. And, uh, and I think, you know, the message for the, you know, for Jack and, and Matt is this guy's, you know, the real deal. And uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, be a requirement for everybody to, to just come with their A game all the time. And, uh, and that's going to take a lot of work and, a lot of, uh, you know, just dedication to let's get this right. And I mean, I think the biggest part of uh, uh, of the two holdovers that they really got to get past, I think, is that decision making, that ability to know where and when to throw it, and and, and just that confidence in I'm going to be able to identify you know, what's going to happen here and where I'm going to be able to throw the ball. And then the ability to actually execute that and get it, get it there because, uh, cause they're watching a guy who does seem to have that ability, uh, just over and over and over again. It just looks, he's got very efficient delivery. He just, um, you know, he just, his mechanics are, are really, really good. And, uh, he just, he has a comfort level about him that, makes you feel if you're you know say a player if you're on the team and you watch a guy who looks really comfortable doing what he's doing i think it really helps you i think it makes you more 
comfortable and confident and uh, have the ability to, you know, uh, say, hey, you know, this, this, this could be our guy. And if you don't have that confidence, and, and that was some of the issue in the spring, was developing that kind of confidence, uh, you know, with the offense, um, you, you got to overcome it. So I think that's a big, big challenge, you know, for, for Matt and Jack. All right. Well, we got some questions about the summer workouts. First, we'll go to Jason in Longhorn Country. He said, in your report on the third PRP, you mentioned that JT scrambled and or ran a couple of times. How does his speed look compared to other collegiate players? Sam wasn't exactly a burner, but he could still run away from defensive pass rushers when necessary. Do you think uh, JT will have this same ability? Fight on, Jason in Longhorn Country. Jason, I'm not so sure. You know, you're gonna. It's gonna come down to speed. I mean, I I hadn't realized this, but uh, uh, I know Baker Mayfield, for example, the number one draft pick from Oklahoma, always looked like he had really good quick. And I think he had like a four eight forty. Uh, uh, but I think he he had really good judgment in terms of when I got to run it, and you know he was running against the you know Big Twelve kids, so uh, you don't always run up against a lot of you know great defensive player, but. Uh, but I don't know that his 40 time was all that different from Sam's. And I think, when, you know, when Sam had decided, you know, I, I, and make the, you know, the good decision, the right decision to take off, uh, you know, he was always pretty effective. I think, I think JT's in that ballpark where he, uh, I think his decision-making helps him uh, in terms of the scramble. Uh, he was the first quarterback the other night not to throw the ball, uh, to, to drop back coverage is really good. And then, you know, pull it down and go. Uh, so I think he's got that kind of confidence to be able to, I don't have to throw it if it's not there. I mean, obviously he's also got the confidence that even if it's a narrow window, I can get it in there. So we'll see, you know, how those two, how those two things played out. But, uh, but I think he's got some, uh, decent bounce with his feet. You know, you kind of watch uh, the old coach and me. You look at how long do their feet stay on the ground. You know, do they have that good, you know, uh, that good bounce, that you know, quick, quick, uh, you know, quick enough feet. And I think he does. Uh, I was, I, and I wasn't sure going into last year at Modern Day whether he was that that kind of a player. I maybe didn't know enough about him, or maybe he hadn't had to show that. But I thought he did did a pretty good job of that at Modern Day last year. When you look at his video and see uh, as many plays as he did uh, pull the ball down and take off. But uh, from what I saw the other night, he's uh, he, he's clearly acceptable in terms of the ability. Uh, and, and yet, if you're going to have a running quarterback, you know Matt Fink uh, and Jack Sears probably um, you know you would go in that direction, if you said, you know, we're going to be Navy or somebody and run the triple option and we want a quarterback that, that can keep the ball. But again, that's not ever going to be USC. Nope. That's not, that's not USC's way. Um, we also had a question kind of along the same lines. You mentioned both, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown and JT Daniels. Uh, Stephen Poway wrote in said after reading a couple of articles on the incoming freshmen, uh, Daniels and Amon Ross St. Brown, who both have, shall we say, very quote unquote, involved fathers. Do you think Clay Helton is going to have a difficult time dealing with these parents and maintaining control of the team personnel decisions and have time changed? Or are these two young men outliers? As a parent myself, I found very ri- little I could relate to in the articles. I think he's talking about the articles in the LA Times. Sure. Yep. Um, Stephen Poway, and he said, P.S., thanks. Thanks you, uh, thanks to Shotgun for the awesome articles on the women of Troy track team. Coach Cheryl Smith Gilbert, fight on. Yeah, Shotgun wrote a couple of pieces. He talked to Coach Gilbert uh, about their national championship in women's track. Yeah, that was what a story. Uh, that you know the four by four hundred relay. Uh, you just couldn't ask for any more than uh, than than all of them, especially the finish by uh, you know uh, I was Kendall Ellis. Yeah. Uh, what a great, I mean, unbelievable, uh, last leg and last, uh, whatever, a couple hundred meters, uh, hundred meters, maybe, I don't know. Uh, that was unbelievable when the entire NCAA championship is riding on it. I mean, it's not just, you know, not a meet, not an event. That was everything that you've worked for 
you know, your whole career. So, you know, really great job. As far as the, um, as far as the fathers, and I think at USC, it's a legitimate question. Uh, uh, the, uh, or, uh, I say, I say USC, uh, at USC with Marv Rinovich, or if you're in LA with LeVar Ball, I think those two names just jump out at you and you go, oh. and yet let's look at modern day. Uh, it didn't look like they had a lot of trouble, did it? Uh, dealing with them. Uh, I mean, it looked like a pretty good team, couple of team guys, uh, you know, from, from everything I could, I can tell, uh, Outlier might be an interesting word uh, about the, those two parents, uh, because mostly we know about parents like that when it doesn't go well. Uh, and, you know, you can't live your life through your kids. You just can't. It's got to be them. And what you notice, uh, what it seems to be happening there is the the parents, I think, pick up on what it is these kids want to do. And you get the sense that that's all Amon Ra and, and JT are all about. And that's what they want to do. And the dads help them do it. And so, and, and, and you know, until otherwise, I just look at the two kids themselves and where they are and how they've gotten there and think, you know, um, for this, for these guys, it worked. It looks like, and for the dads and all that, we've seen examples where that doesn't work, where dads, you know, get involved as a former coach. I know I had a, in my mind, uh, what kind of parent do, do each of these kids have because you had to deal with them differently. And, you know, every once in a while you had that kid who was spectacularly great, uh, athlete and they had a spectacularly great, you know, parent who, understood and was involved I mean, it's hard to you know probably be a be a young athlete and not have your parents really working with you but the you have this fine line uh, i still remember uh my niece uh, i took her to uh uh university of cincinnati had a, a great diving coach and she was eight years old and she had tried to become a gymnast and I'd gone to watch her gym practice gymnastics. And, uh, she, uh, was way too good. And she was hitting the walls and the ceiling and this place and people that, you know, weren't, you know, capable of coaching her. And I still, I remember going over, taking her over to a fellow who had had Olympians and all of that and, and say, what do you think? And he had her do a few things and he came over and he said, She's, I know she'll be the youngest athlete I've ever coached. She's eight, but she absolutely has that kind of ability. Well, later on, she goes and she won uh, two NCAA championships for this coach. Uh, the first, I think, in 150 years at, uh, at the University of Cincinnati went on. Um, after the first day of the Olympics was second in the, uh, in the uh, uh, platform diving in the Atlanta Olympics and ended up as, uh, as just missed, uh, 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 a bronze medal. She was fourth by the narrowest margin when she was 18 years old, unfortunately did some damage to her shoulder and didn't get, she probably would have won the gold medal when she was 22, but, uh, had a uh, rotator cuff with surgery that, that couldn't get there. But I still remember talking to her parents, my sister and saying, Here's the deal. You have to be involved. If you have a kid that's got this kind of talent, you have to be involved with them at a very young age. But you have to be able to do it in a way that it's their choice and it's their doing and it's all about them and that they do it because they want to do it and that they have this kind of drive and it's not about you and that you have to be there every step of the way in effect, but you can't be there right with them all the way. And I said, it's a very fine line. And with a lot of parents, you only get that chance maybe, you know, once you've never done it before. You might not ever do it again. And you got to get it right to be a parent of, of an athlete who is really, really gifted. And 
I think that's where JT and, you know, and Amon Ra fit. And, uh, and we'll see how it goes, but I think they've got a chance. I, I think, and I understand why people would say, uh-oh, that sounds like this case, or that sounds like that case, or I can't identify with that. But, uh, but I think you have to look at the kids and, and see where they are and how it's affecting them. And, uh, you know, I think, I think they have a chance. I think it's a different world now, too, in terms of how parents are involved. But uh, uh, we will see as, we, as this plays out. It'll be an interesting uh, challenge, but I certainly didn't hear any, anything uh, involving modern day where any of that played out in any negative way whatsoever. Yeah, I, I'd never heard that either. So, uh, but definitely two parents that are involved. So we'll see uh, how that develops throughout their college career. We've seen some crazy stuff happen before. I'm not I'm anticipating it in this case, but who knows? Um, Ed in the Bay Area wrote in. He said, I've thought about this in the past, but it has really come to the forefront of my thinking this last week. As good as JT Daniels might be, if he wins the starting job from the get-go, that, to me, speaks louder about the coaching staff's inability to develop a quarterback. Think about it. Did they really do any development of Sam? No. They pretty much let him do whatever he was going to do. What are your thoughts about this topic? Fight on, Ed, in the Bay Area. Well, I mean, the other problem that you got in terms of making that case is sometimes guys come along that are really special. And then you just say, you know, it's not about the other guys. It's about this guy. Uh, so, uh, you know, and I know we've probably talked about the developing of, of athletes uh, and how you develop them over, you know, over the years at USC. And we've seen, you know, kids that where that development has happened and we've seen where that, where it hasn't happened. Uh, I don't know that we're to the point yet where we can say, that kind of developing didn't happen with, uh, with Sam or with the, you know, Jack and Matt. Uh, but, uh, but I don't think that just JT winning the job, uh, clearly makes the case that there hasn't been enough developing going on. Uh, I think that the case there is, you know, where are these guys? How have they gotten enough better in, uh, you know, combined three years, uh, that they've been here uh, between Matt and Jack. Uh, I mean, I think Sam got a lot. Sam got pretty good his uh, year that his true freshman year when he was playing against the uh, uh, playing as a scout guy and playing against the, uh, you know, the varsity guys, if you want to call them that. Uh, But um, so I think, you know, I think Sam, it was an interesting sort of a development. I I think, you know, I was thinking about this the other day uh, uh, when you're talking about Sam and they were, I guess some of the reports are coming out about how it carries over uh, that he was so good at USC It's carrying over in his pro uh, debut is that his, uh, his strong suit at USC was what he did when the plays broke down and how good he was and how creative he could be and how well he did things on the move, but wasn't so good or wasn't as good or as impactful or effective when he just had this straight up, this is the play, uh, you know, especially in a drop back situation. And so I think you could, you know, you could make the case that um, you don't want a guy who you say he's really good when things break down, you wish they wouldn't be breaking down quite so much. And you could make the case that, that Sam was really good at that because things did break down more than they should have. Uh, at a program like USC, the offensive line shouldn't, uh, you know, the pass blocking should not break down as much as it, as it did. And for Sam to, you know, have to overcome that, but, uh, you know, so whether that's a good sign or not, I don't know, but I would not right now, I think JT Daniels has got a chance to be good enough that the whole developmental issue, um, wasn't, um, wouldn't be uh, able to be proven uh, based on whether uh, whether JT wins the job or not. Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. Um, it's if you look at 
what is has Matt Fink got a lot better? I think Matt Fink has actually got better since he came to USC, if you want to make that argument. A guy like Max Brown, I think you expected more from him after coming through. Uh, I, I would agree. It's not just just because if JT Daniels is named the starter, I don't think that is definitely an indictment on how USC develops players, but I think there's been some issues with the way USC's developed some players, and maybe that's just maybe that's more on the player than the coaches. It's hard to say, but there's definitely been some guys that you expected more of after a while. But a guy like Matt Fink, I thought he's he's got a lot better since he came to USC. Yeah, he's gotten bigger, stronger, uh, uh, much more of a leader. I think much more, you know, tough-minded, tough-minded guy. I think uh, you know the skill set will, will will determine uh, you know where uh, where Matt uh, you know goes goes from here. But uh, I, I don't think there's any you know any question you know about that. I, I, the jury might still be out on on Jack Sears. He's still you know in his first full year, so uh, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, but I do think, for example, a guy like Max Brown probably would have been a whole lot better off, say, in Alabama. Uh, but I think the combination of Max and his set, his skill set, and his physical abilities and all that was not well matched for a USC offensive line that was really undependable against real good teams. I mean, if you were really solid on defense, so and Max gets to start against. Uh, uh, Alabama and Stanford, both away from USC. And that was, that was not an easy way for somebody who was kind of a, uh, you know, a plodding, uh, you know, disciplined sort of a guy. Uh, uh, you know, basically, Sam survived because he could scramble. And you had to scramble. So I think that's on USC a little bit, that, uh, that you needed a quarterback who could run for, you know, not only run for his life, but make plays while he did it. And uh, um, so it's kind of hard to evaluate that whole developmental thing uh, when you maybe don't have all the pieces uh, that go together as well as you'd like it, or you maybe don't have a running attack that is as well uh, crafted and, and put together uh, and as dependable maybe as you needed to be to take a little heat off the quarterback. So, uh, so uh, I think I think you really make a good case though that, that Matt Fink has has gotten has clearly gotten better. I mean, uh, JT Dale is going to have to be good uh, from the get-go, which isn't very often the case for freshmen uh, to win the job. He's not going to win it just by being, you know, the modern-day kid with a you know big reputation and all that no he's gonna have to be able to to go out there and play yeah and you know and i, I don't want you to misconstrue or anyone out there um i i don't think i saw like usc level quarterback play in the spring from either matt fink or jack sears but i do feel i, I think you're right about the jury still being out on jack sears i mean it was only, you know he's been around one year but for for fink i thought the way he looked when he first got as a true freshman and now he's a lot better but I still wasn't seeing like this USC level type of quarterback uh, from either one of those guys in the spring. And I think that's why there's more people relying on a JT Daniels. Cause I'm not saying they can't, either one of those guys can't get there yet, but I just, I just didn't see it in the spring. Well, and that's not exactly a knock on, 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 you know, college quarterbacks. I mean, you're talking about when you're saying, you know, college quarterbacking level, you're talking about, uh, you know, Carson Palmer and, you know, John David Booty and Mark Sanchez and Matt Liner and, uh, you know, uh, uh, geez, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of who, I went Sam Donald, obviously, and guys that are, you know, still in the, you know, NFL and guys who've been starters and, and guys who've done an awful lot. So when you say that, it's not necessarily, a, you know, a terrible put down. It's just you expect that. You, you kind of come to expect guys who can, you know, perform, you know, at that level. And that, that ability, I think, to deliver the ball on time, on target, and, and you know, and to hit the deep ball when it's there and all of those things, uh, that has to – you got to be able to do that uh, at USC. And you got to, you know, help make the receivers better. And um, I, I, don't think we, I don't think we saw that. We also had a question – Let's see. This one's from Tarek. 
do you have it? So we talked a lot about quarterbacks. Let's talk about some receivers. Um, and not all on Russell Brown. He says, do you have any confidence uh, that either Trayvon Sidney or Valus Jones could develop into a high-level slot receiver? Uh, I think Trayvon, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, Velas has changed his body, he's changed his hands, he's changed uh, his approach. Uh, I'm, I'm really impressed with where he's come uh, in the last year. I, I just think he's... Uh, He's a, a different-looking player. He's catching the ball, um, you know, off the grass, you know, tops of the grass, and here, there, and, you know, places. That he's showing me hands that I hadn't seen before. His physique is uh, – uh, he just he looks, uh, you know, rangier, uh, just bigger, stronger. Uh, I like a, an awful lot. Uh, with Teron, uh, he's got some hands, I'll tell you. He's uh, He can catch anything – anywhere with one hand or whatever, you know, whatever you want, whether, uh, uh, does he have quite enough of just absolute breakaway speed, uh, for his physique in order to, to just completely lose people and all that. I don't know that we know that yet. Uh, uh, but, but I think, you know, both of them are, are decent, uh, uh decent options. Although I think Vilas, uh, he's bigger than, he just looks bigger than, than, than you remember. And he just looks, uh, and, and we all know he can run, and it doesn't look like he's going down. I mean, I used to think, gosh, he's kind of, is it a balance issue or whatever? He sort of looked like he was looking for a place to fall. Uh, and I don't see that now. I see him looking for a place to, you know, to break through and, and to break away from contact. And, uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm pretty upbeat uh, about Velas. All right, and then we have one last question for you. This one's a voicemail, and he forgot he called in after. I don't. He said he didn't leave his name, but it's, this is from Jeff. This is Jeff from Lake Forest, which is down in uh, South Orange County, and here is his voicemail. Hey Ryan, hey Coach or uh, Dan Weber. Quick question: Scheduling. Why does it seem like in the last oh I'd say two three maybe four years that we're playing Stanford in the second game of the season? I always remember as a UFC alum is uh, playing Stanford a little later in the year after the conference races were established, and for the students it was also a time to look forward to about mid semester to plan that trek north to San Francisco or to Berkeley, uh, spend a whole weekend, maybe take a Friday off, and reward yourself for a lot of hard work done for the semester. But not anymore. It, it just seems like, for whatever reason, uh, probably TV, uh, money-wise, Stanford is playing us right at the beginning. Can you uh, share some of your thoughts on why this is happening uh, and, and every year, I mean, uh, uh, it kind of reminds me of the uh, Michigan-Notre Dame series that for many years was always played the second week of the year. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Any comments would be appreciated. Keep up the good work. Fight on. So, uh, good question. I mean, it, 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 there are some easy flip answers. First of all, the Pac-12 is really stupid. Uh, <laughs> play one of the biggest, most important games of the year right away, and you eliminate one of those teams from the national radar. Uh, you know, the South- Southeastern Conference wouldn't do that. You put a gun at the head of you know, the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, he would not do that. There's another reason they wouldn't do that down there, because none of the coaches would accept that. You imagine telling Nick Saban you got to play Auburn the second game or LSU the second game of the season. He just... He'd have you fired. Uh, USC and, and, and Stanford should both say, no, we're not doing that. Now, the Pac-12 did it because it was easy. They farm out. I mean, I don't know that there's another conference that does this, but they were farming until this year. They were farming out the whole schedule to some computer uh, company that just put it together and they used and they always blamed it was on USC and Stanford. It was their fault because both of them played Notre Dame, and and they in opposite years, uh, 
you know, USC will play Notre Dame in mid-October, and then the next year Stanford will in South Bend. And then what happens is the other team gets, uh, and Notre Dame gets a trip out of the, you know, north, northern Indiana. They get to leave in, at the end of the year, end of uh, November. Uh, they get to play in California, either at Stanford or at USC. So the Pac-12 would always blame, oh, it's their fault. They screw the schedule up. Uh, they ask us to handle, you know, one year it's in the middle of the year and one year it's at the end of the year. Um, so uh, I, I blame everybody. There's enough blame to go around for everybody. What I would also like to see, though, is for USC to use that to their benefit. And they did last year. USC has more talent year in, year out than Stanford. Stanford's got a system, uh, and, you know, they know who they are and what they do. And they've got, obviously, one absolutely great player coming back this year. But USC ought to be able to go into that game, and if, if they've got it going the way it ought to be going, that ought to be USC's game. I mean, they should take advantage of it. They did last year. They still were able to hold on at the – in the championship game and, and beat Stanford twice. But, uh, but it's pretty dumb. Uh, even if USC can do that, it's pretty dumb to have to do that every year. Uh, no other conference would do that. No other conference in America, but it's just a, you know, one of many mistakes that the PAC 12 has made and why, uh, you know, the PAC 12 is in as much uh, trouble as it's in in every way, you know, competitively, financially, uh, media exposure, all of that. I think uh, somebody, uh, you know, Bryce Love obviously is the the leading candidate for the Heisman, but there's a real question. Will he get enough exposure or will he end up the way Christian McCaffrey uh, ended up a few years back when he clearly should have won the Heisman? And by playing, you know, late games, and way too many games on the Pac-12 network that nobody gets, uh, you know, east of, you know, whatever, uh, east of uh, Kingman, Arizona. Uh, uh, you know, but will he end up, you know, not getting, uh, you know, the Heisman, even if he uh, he probably should. Uh, so uh, plenty of blame to go around. But, I mean, I, I would start – I just think USC and Stanford would say, no, we're not doing that. That's not good for either one of us. But uh, the Pac-12 is a strange thing. I mean, everybody seems to take all the stupidity like it's just a normal thing. That's how we do things. And uh, <laughs> you just shake your head and think, what are you thinking? I mean, golly. <sighs> um, here's one thing to think about. So that was our last question. But in the SEC, the best team in the East and the best team in the the West, so Alabama and Georgia didn't play. <laughs> they never uh, played. They didn't play. That's the amazing. They hadn't played in like <clears throat> decades. I mean, it's like, unless they meet in the championship game, they're not playing. That's smart. But in the I Pac-12, guess. the best team in the North and the best team in the South played in Week Two and then played again. So, uh, yes, that would be correct. So what that that's all you need to know. Like that is just like Dan said it. It's just dumb that those teams play that early. Make something else work. Do not punish teams for playing Notre Dame. Like fix it. Do something better. LSU and Alabama would never play in week two, you know, or or Alabama and Georgia. That just would not happen. Do not make it happen in the Pac-12. You got enough stupid crap with. Truck racing, preempting Stanford and Washington, you know, on FS1. So don't don't do this. This is a self-inflicted wound. The Pac-12 does not need to endure. Well, this uh, and, and for those of you who don't understand it, I, I didn't even understand quite. I mean, and, and and people with the Pac-12 would probably say I'm really prejudiced against the Pac-12. I didn't even understand the depth of it uh, until the before the cha- the press conference before the championship game last year. And Larry Scott's trying to make the case <clears throat> that USC should be included in the, uh, uh, you know, in the mix, let's say, for the, uh, the four uh, playoff spots that were going to be announced the next day. And, uh, 
and to follow up on a question that Ryan wanted me to ask was if you were, if you're, you know, you're Larry Scott, you're the commissioner of the PAC 12 and you had a choice between having a national championship contender <clears throat> and parody where everybody beats everybody and nobody's got, you know, which would you choose? And he knew he was on the spot and he knew he was trying to make the case for USC. But when push came to shove, he chose parody. The second part of that you know, then I asked him a question and said, uh, everybody that was asked in the Pac-12 this year to play a Friday game on a short week after traveling the week before, every one of those teams lost, starting with USC in the Washington State game. And honest to God, Larry Scott, now, if you've read the, the Paris style for the last four years, you knew the answer to that question. Larry Scott said, we didn't realize that was an issue, making a team play on a short travel week the week after traveling the week before. He didn't, he said, he didn't understand, nor did anyone at the Pac-12 understand it was a problem. But they'll fix it now unbelievable who who on the peristyle didn't know that was a problem nobody, nobody. everybody knows that's a problem the guy making four million dollars a year to run the pac-12 didn't know it was a problem folks we have a problem how <laughs> <laughs> he and i absolutely believe it he didn't know that was an issue yeah until somebody said literally every single team you asked to do that lost Every single one. Basically, that game eliminated USC. I said, you wanted USC to be in contention for the playoffs? That game eliminated them. Yeah. That Washington State game, (laughs) it was over. It's just like, how can you be that dumb? Yeah. It's insane. But that's the Pac-12. Kind of amazing. Yeah. But, again, it's a case where I want to see USC stand up for itself. Right. When the preliminary schedule comes out, you say, no, we're not going. We're not going to be the fifth straight September game that Washington State gets at home. No, they don't play anybody till they play us. They, you know, they're going to point for us you know, for the entire month of September. They won't have any injuries. And we're coming off of, you know, road games. And, and uh, no, we'd have, and USC had no buys last season. You say no. Say you send the schedule back and say no. We're not going. You know we'll play them on Saturday, but you got to give us another day. And then from now on, we're not taking you know these two weeks in a row. I mean, again, can you? When was the last time Alabama played two two uh, road games and and one you know back to back against Power Five teams, against ranked teams, against teams that cause them to travel two time zones the answer is never in modern times that would be the correct answer yeah never not once not gonna do it you know it's great usc playing texas and all that what would be even greater is if they didn't have stanford on the road the week before yes <laughs> it's just crazy i mean for example alabama and you know lsu and those guys I think they they basically schedule a bye before they play one another. And then, you know, before they play their other, whatever their other big game is, they basically schedule, you know, Georgia Southern or Wofford or, you know, whoever. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Pac-12, you've you got no ability to do that. And uh, you're really, really limiting your ability to compete nationally when you yourself harm your your – team's chances and you yourself harm your chances of individual players to win the Heisman. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much going to take a USC quarterback to win a Heisman again because USC can generate that kind of, that kind of coverage, but nobody else in the PAC 12 can overcome uh, all of the, all of the disadvantages of being in the PAC 12. I don't think maybe Bryce love can, you know, stay healthy enough and, and what have you. But, uh, it's going to be, it's not easy. No. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up, Dan. Just about an hour. That's good stuff. 
Um, yeah, thanks for uh, coming on. Look forward to uh, seeing you out there at the next workout. Thanks to Lisa Bed, uh, our sponsor. Go to lisa.com slash USC. You get $160 off. And Dan, we'll uh, see you out there at the next workout and talk to you again soon. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, it's an interesting storyline. Uh, stay stay, uh, stay in uh, touch, all you guys out there, and keep track because uh, uh, what happens this summer, I mean, Clay said it. He said the most important summer and the most important PRPs we've had, and uh, I don't think he was wrong. I think uh, the storyline that's going to play out this summer is uh, it really uh, it's a big deal. So uh, we'll try to you know stay on it as much as we can for you. All right, that's Dan Weber. Thanks to you, Dan, and thanks to everyone out there listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. We should be back again tomorrow. Got Coach Harvey Hyde on, so you've already sent in a bunch of questions. If you have any late ones, you want to send them in, do that. Podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll get the coach on, and we'll see if we do another one this week. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll put it all together. And hope again, Like I said, hope you enjoy the show, and then we will talk to you again next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 